have a Bible, open it up. We're at the end of Genesis. Genesis 49 and 50. We're going to read a few of the verses here. Starting in chapter 50, verse 15. Genesis 50, verse 15. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came down and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray. Thank you for this book, God. It is a wonder that you gave a book, not a video not music, a book. I pray that we would treasure this book. Not the ink and the paper, but the truth. The truest truth. Help us to treasure it with all our hearts tonight. Help us to see who you are through your word, God. You are the God who holds all things in your hands. So help us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. This is our final sermon in the book of Genesis. This has been an amazing journey. This is an amazing book. This is where this story begins, the beginning of history in this book. The beginning of your story in this book. The beginning of the story as God tells it, this book, Genesis. And this is a fitting end to the book, Genesis 49 and 50, because here we catch a glimpse of the magnitude of God's greatness. We're going to see, we're going to focus in mainly on one verse, 
But we're going to see that this is the God of history. This is the Lord of all things, good and evil, who uses them all for his purposes. He's an amazing God. So here's, here's what's going on, what we just read. In chapter 49, Jacob dies. He gave instructions to his children. You've got to take me back to the land of Canaan, there in Egypt. Take me back to the land of Canaan and bury me there. That's our place. And so the Egyptians, they mourn greatly for Jacob. They go back to the land of Canaan. And then when they return, Joseph's brothers are scared. They're scared because dad is dead. We sold Joseph into slavery. And now he's the second most powerful man in the world. What if he wants to kill us? He could. He could do it like that. He could destroy them and their families, and it would be no issue. No one would even raise an eyebrow. They're scared, and so they plead. We just read this, starting in verse 16. They sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came down and fell before him, and they said, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? That's a remarkable thing to say. Joseph refuses to take vengeance. He could. He refuses to do it because he knows that vengeance belongs to the Lord. He knows that. This would be very difficult for us. None of us have been sold into slavery by the brothers that we grew up with. I mean, we can dramatize what happens. We don't know. I mean, his brothers... I have very little doubt, watched him screaming while he was dragged away thinking he'd never see his father or his homeland again. And they took money for it. Here's how Joseph is able to not take vengeance. It's because he knows something about God. He knows that everything that happened to him God was in control. That changes everything. Everything that happened to him, God was in control. Look at the way he says it. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So with most of our time, we're going to look at those words. We're going to see what does it mean that Joseph's brothers meant evil, but God meant it for good. This is a massive, massive claim about God's power and his control over life and history and mankind. It's massive. So what does it mean? That's what we're going to do with most of our time, and then we're going to wrap up this book. But first, what is that sentence? Verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Okay, 
the way we're going to go about trying to understand what that verse means is we're going to do it this way. Try to follow this. We're going to talk about what it does not mean, what verse 20 does not mean, and then we're going to talk about what it does mean. We're going to do that three times. We're going to talk about what it does not mean and what it does mean. What it does not mean and what it does mean. Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Here's what this does not mean. This does not mean that God took an accident and turned it for good. Many, many people talk about God, how God relates to the bad things that happen in this world, and they say something like this, a terrible thing happened, but God turned it for good. Like a, an accident happened, but God cleaned it up in a really amazing way. That's not what this verse says. Joseph's telling his brothers that they meant evil. They intended it. That's what meant means. They intended evil against him. They wanted him dead. They wanted him a slave somewhere. They didn't care what happened to him. The verse doesn't say, you meant evil against me, but God turned it into something good. You meant something evil, but after seven years of slavery and imprisonment, God decided to step in and look at me now. That's not what he says. It says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He meant something. That means God intended what happened to Joseph. He intended it. If, I if I'm in my home and I hear a crash in the other room and I go and see what happened and the front window of my house is smashed and one of my kids is standing there with a hammer and I say, what? Did you mean to do that? And they say, no, it was an accident. I promise it was an accident. What they're saying is they didn't intend for that to happen. They didn't intend. That's what accidents are when there's no intention. This verse does not mean that God took an accident and did something with it. God meant for this series of events to occur. So here's the first what this does mean. This does mean that God intended for Joseph to suffer the way that he did. That's a big claim. This means that God intended for Joseph to suffer the way that he did. His enslavement was not an accident. It wasn't an accident. God meant it to happen. And here's the truth. There are no real accidents in this world. There is no such thing really as random chance. Things might look random to us. They might look like accidents. But Ephesians 1.11 tells us that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Not just big things, all things. Every particle of sand that blows across this desert Every little virus that gets transmitted from one person to another, every car accident, every thought, every feeling, those are included in all things that God works 
together according to the wisdom of his will. That's Ephesians 1.11. Is your God that big? I hope he is. All things. God meant something in what happened to Joseph. He meant something. He means something in everything. <laughs> he means something in everything. Here's another thing this verse does not mean. This verse does not mean that God intended the final result, but not the way that it came about. So some people could say, well, surely what God meant when it says he meant it for good, what, what God meant was that Joseph would be raised up second in power in Egypt. He'd save a lot of people. That's what he did. But he didn't, he did not mean for Joseph to be a slave or to be imprisoned for a total of seven years. God didn't intend that. But just think for a second. Just think. If God is powerful enough to raise this shepherd boy, foreigner, to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh, if God's powerful enough to do that, would not he be powerful enough to get Joseph there some other way? Would it have been difficult for God to move Joseph from the land of Canaan to Egypt some other way? No. This does not mean that God intended the final result, but not the way it came about. Here's what this verse does mean. It means that God intended that Joseph's brothers would do this evil against him. This means that God intended that Joseph's brothers would do this evil against him. Look at the wording of this verse, if you've got your Bible open. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That word it, here's a little grammar lesson. It's called a pronoun. It is a pronoun. It is referring to another word. So if I say, hey, would you grab, uh, grab it for me? Well, it matters what I mean by it. I might be talking about a book. I might be talking about a pencil. It is a pronoun. It refers to something else. So when it says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, what does it mean? I mean, in English, it's pretty difficult to know. What does he mean by the word it? But in Hebrew, it's clear. Now, here's a little Hebrew lesson. If you don't follow all this, that's fine, but try. The word evil, you meant evil, is a noun. In Hebrew, nouns have gender and they have number. Nouns, all nouns, are either masculine or feminine. We don't know why some are masculine or some are feminine. They just are. The word evil here is a feminine singular noun. Now, pronouns in Hebrew always have the same gender and number as the word they're referring to. And the word it, God meant it, is feminine singular. The only word it can refer to is evil. So this text is saying, Joseph's brothers meant evil, but God meant the evil that Joseph's brothers did for good. 
That's what the text is saying. God is not simply sovereign over outcomes. He's not simply sovereign over the way that things turn out. He is sovereign over the way they turn out. It would be crazy for me to say, I I just baked a delicious cake. I pull it out of the oven. Here it is. Here's my cake. But I, I had nothing to do with the eggs or the flour or the sugar. That would be a ridiculous thing to say. God does not just rule over the finished product. He rules over all the ingredients that went inside. Now, let's be clear. God hates evil. He hates evil. He cannot do it. He never will, but there is no evil thing that happens on this earth that God does not rule over for good. Let's say that again. There is not one evil thing that happens on this earth that God does not rule over for good. And this is not unique to Joseph's story. If you can, look at Acts 4, verses 27 through 28. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28. Here, Jesus has been crucified, he's been raised, the church is being persecuted and they're gathering together to pray to God. So that's what this is. Acts 4, verses 27 through 28 is the church praying to God. And this is what verse 27 and 28 say. The church is praying, and they say, Truly in this city, God, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So he's saying, Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, and the Jews, they came against Jesus, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Did God predestine the crucifixion of his son? Yes, he did. Now think about this. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the most wicked event in history. The eternal Son of God, who enjoyed fellowship with the Father, with all the worth of the Father, being crucified is the most heinous, disgusting act that could ever happen. And this church in Acts is praying and saying, yes, those wicked men, they're responsible for the evil they did, but all that they did happened exactly as your plan predestined to take place. Jesus being crucified was planned before the world was made. Revelation 13.8 says that. You can look at it later. 
The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was planned before the foundation of this world. Now consider this. Think about what that means. That means before this world was created, God was planning to make a world where the most evil thing that could happen would happen. This does not mean that God is responsible for sin. This does not mean that God is responsible for sin. If you go there, you've gone somewhere the Bible will not let you go. If you, if you try to think it out this way, well, if God intended for Joseph's brothers to do this evil thing, if God intended for his son to be crucified, then God must be responsible morally for those events. That's somewhere the Bible will not let you go. 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. <laughs> Habakkuk 1, 13, you, God, are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. His heart is the purest, cleanest, kindest heart. God's is. He is not responsible for evil. We are. Revelation 2, 23, Jesus says, I'm the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will repay everyone for what they have done. That's what Jesus says. What he's saying is, I'm going to judge hearts and minds, and on the basis of what you've done, you will be responsible. You will. I will. Not God. There's no darkness in him at all. This text does not mean that God is responsible for evil, but it does mean, this text does mean that he is in control over the evil that men and women do. Now, there's a mystery here, but we need to hold both of these truths and not let go of either one of them. Men and women are responsible for what they love, what they think, and what they do. And God is in control over everything that happens. The Bible clearly affirms that both of those things are true, absolutely true. You are responsible for what you do and think and feel. And God is in control over everything. You're going to be tempted to stop believing one of those two truths. You're going to be tempted to do that, to stop believing one in order to believe the other, because they feel at tension, don't they? You'll be tempted to stop believing one or the other. For example, well, if men and women are responsible for what they love, what they think, what they do, then God can't have any control over those things. Wrong. Or, on the other end, if God's in control over everything, I can't be responsible. Wrong. 
You are responsible for what you love, what you think, what you do. And, and God is in control over everything that happens. Don't let go of either one of those truths. Many people will try to get you to let go of one of those truths, to follow after their philosophy. Don't do it. I mean, there are people who would say, okay, here's how this works. God's in control of everything out there. I'll let him do that. But not this, not me. People are the ultimate deciders of their destiny. God doesn't enter there. It's just nowhere in the Bible. On the other hand, you will meet people who say, well, God's in control of everything, so there's no need to pray. He's just going to do what he's going to do anyways. It's nowhere in the Bible. Or, I don't need to share the gospel with people. God's already chosen who he's going to save. Nowhere in the Bible. Do you know what a tightrope walker is? A tightrope walker? Someone who walks on a rope that's way up high between two poles. A rope is pulled tight between two poles so that someone can walk across it. And the tension of those two poles is what, is what lets the tightrope walker stay up. If you let one of those poles down, he's going to fall, she's going to fall. If you don't hold on to this tension, when you read your Bible, you won't be able to walk on the heights of the truth that's in this Bible. You are responsible for what you do, and God is in control of all things. And here's another amazing thing we see in this text. As God is in control over all things, he works good. Through everything. Do you remember what Joseph said? He said, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. Praise Jesus. He did not just say, you meant it for evil, and God meant it too. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So let's tie this to your life and then tie it to the book of Genesis as a whole. Let's consider again Jesus, God's son, the perfect son of God. He created this world and he sustains it right now. That one was abandoned by his best friends in his hour of need. He was mocked, spit on, They pulled out his beard. They slapped his face. They beat him, and then they crucified him naked. Nothing more wicked has ever been done in the history of this world. And this was planned by him and his father before the world was created in order to bring about good that you and I could know him. that we could be forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, and share in his glory. That was the plan. God working the greatest good imaginable through the greatest evil imaginable. And if he could do that, he can do good in whatever evil you are going through right now. And here's what's more. 
if you are united to Jesus because you trust that crucifixion for you in your place, it guarantees that he will work everything for your good. What a gospel we have. This is crucial. It's crucial. It's one thing to believe that God is in control when you're in the middle of depression or there's a death in the family. It's another thing to know when you're in the middle of depression or a death in the family that God's in control and he's working for good. It's the difference between suicide and hope. This is the lifeline of Romans 8, 28. We know. Do you know this? We know that for those who love God, all things. I'm telling you right now, you cannot think of a single thing that doesn't fit in this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. <laughs> this doesn't mean sin is good, depression is good, death is good. No, God hates sin and death more than you do. He does. But he's using them to produce something that would not otherwise be produced. As Paul says, this light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. He's saying whatever loss or pain we experience in this life, because God is in control, will be so exceeded by the good that is produced in it, it's not worth comparing. And that's because God is in control. I want you to have this big God. You need this big God. And if you know this, you'll be freed from vengeance like Joseph was. It's how you'll be free from complaining. Do you complain? I do. Complaining is when you don't trust God is in control and he's working good. This is how you get free from rage, anxiety. If you believe that God is good, he's in control. Now, how does this relate to the book of Genesis as a whole? At the end of his life, the very end of this book, verses 22 through 26, Joseph gives instructions to his family. He tells this family, listen, when God delivers on his promise and he brings us out of Egypt, I want you to take my bones and bury me in the land of Canaan. That's not going to happen for 400 years. But Joseph doesn't care. He knows it will happen because his God is in control and working for good. And it does happen. We've moved from chapter 1, verse 1. That's how this book starts. Nothing but God. And he spoke, and a universe was. And he made it perfect, and he put a man and woman in his image to enjoy that perfect world, and they rejected him. And this disease-ridden, pain-riddled life that ends in death for everyone who's ever lived besides three, 
It's what we deserve. We rejected life. We rejected God himself. And as the pages turn, we see God is not just creator, he's judge, and we deserve to die. But that's not the end. This God moves towards us. He loves this world. And so he calls a man, Abraham, and he makes promises to that man. And he built a family of undeserving men and women out of this one man. And he showed them again and again, he's not just creator, he's not just judge, he's gracious, he's faithful. He always does what he says. And he promises that through this family someday, all the families of the world will be blessed. Someday, things will be made right. We'll be restored to God. This world will be new. And here at the end, at the end, we have one of the most solid confirmations that this God can't be stopped because he rules everything. He's going to do it. This book, this book, it lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. And it unfolds the story of this unfailing, faithful God. Towards a family through whom he will bring his son into the world. His son will become the main character of this book. That was the plan from the beginning. He will be crucified to take the place of sinners who cast themselves on him. Cast yourself on Jesus. The plan from the beginning is that he would take your place if you cast yourself on him. And he's been raised up and he will raise us up with him into a new humanity and a new world and we will share his glory. That's God's purpose in this book and it cannot will not fail because God is in control and he's good. Let's pray. Oh God, who is like you? We could not organize all the molecules of air in this room and you have predestined their movement, all of them from before the foundation of the world. What a mind you have. You sent your son, that was the plan, to suffer more than anyone so that we might share his glory. What a heart you have. Help us to trust that you are in control and that you're working for our good. Thank you for this book. Thank you that your promises have come to pass. Your son has come. And all your promises will come to pass when you make all things new. Help us to trust you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Stand as we continue to worship together through song.